Hi there, it's Matt again, and today we're going to be talking about this. That's right, snoring and in particular a sleep disorder called sleep apnea. As you know by now, I am not a medical doctor, so why do this episode? Well, it's for two reasons. First, as with the past episodes on insomnia, this episode is not medically prescriptive. Instead, it is simply scientifically descriptive. <laughs> Translation, this is not medical advice. The second reason is based on prevalence. It is highly likely that either you, your partner, someone in your family, or even your child will have sleep apnea. And therefore, I want to try to add to the public awareness of what is a very serious condition. Today, we're going to cover five areas of explanation. Number one, what is sleep apnea and how common is it? Number two, why is it so deathly if left untreated? Number three, what will significantly increase your chances of suffering from insomnia? Number four, diagnosis. How do you or your partner or your child, and yes, as I said, it is common among children, how do you get tested? And number five, what are the treatments and how do they work? Let's start with definitions and prevalence. Obstructive sleep apnea, or the acronym OSA, it's a breathing-related sleep disorder. There are two other less common versions called central sleep apnea and mixed sleep apnea, but obstructive sleep apnea is the most common, and that's the one that we're going to focus on today. I do love unpacking the etymology or the origin meaning of words, so let's do that with the term apnea. In medicine, we often place the letter A, or sometimes AB, at the start of a term to designate the absence of that thing. A prime example would be the word abnormal, with the AB preface letters defining the absence of normal, hence abnormal. Another example you may have heard is the term arrhythmia, with the A part of that word defining the absence of a normal heart rhythm, in other words, an arrhythmia event. Coming back to our focus, the word panea, P-N-E-A, comes from the Greek origin meaning breath or respiration. And indeed, you've heard of the respiratory disorder of pneumonia. And when you spell it out and you look at the front end of that word, you will see that Greek origin of respiration. Pneumonia is a respiratory disorder. Coming back to our topic, today we're going to add the letter A at the front end of panea, P-N-E-A, to produce apnea, which simply means the absence of breath, apnea. And this is how we think of obstructive sleep apnea. Due to an obstruction, which I'll explain next, you suffer the absence of breath during sleep, hence the term obstructive sleep apnea. 
My goodness, Matt, that was a long explanation. I hope it's okay. I do think knowing and understanding rather than just simply learning is so important, um, or at least it is for me, I should say. I don't want to judge anyone else. So having understood the term of apnea and its core feature, let's speak about the prevalence. How common is it? Yikes, it is very common, it turns out. We estimate that around 12 to 20% of the population suffers from sleep apnea. Translated, that means a billion people in the world suffer from some form of sleep apnea. That's right, a billion people. I should also note, by the way, that not everyone is at the same risk of developing sleep apnea. If you are male, you are two to three times more likely to suffer from this thing called sleep apnea. But please know that many, many millions of women also have sleep apnea. Also, if you are overweight or obese, if you are a smoker, and if you are sedentary, and also if you drink moderate amounts of alcohol, you're going to be at considerably higher risk of having sleep apnea. Perhaps the even more alarming thing is that we've come to learn that somewhere between 60 to 80% of people with sleep apnea are currently undiagnosed. And this is part of the reason why I want to try to get this podcast out there to raise awareness to get more people tested. So now let's discuss the next item on our list. Why is sleep apnea so dangerous and so potentially deathly? In fact, far more so than most people realize. Let's come back to what's happening during a sleep apnea event. If you are struggling to breathe during sleep due to an obstruction, it naturally leads to the question, what is causing that obstruction? A sponsor of today's show is Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service and they come to your home, as they do for me, and they will analyze your blood and your DNA to know precisely what is happening inside of you regarding a host of different blood and metabolic and hormonal health metrics. What I also like is that in addition to the results, they then provide you with a personalized set of recommended, I guess, sort of lifestyle changes and suggestions to better optimize your health as a consequence of what those results were for you, that unique snowflake. So you can use the link insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker, and you will get a healthy discount from your purchase. So again, that is insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker. It's actually not the monumental spoonful of cauliflower rice and pinto beans that you devoured just before bed, as I judge people by my own standards. Instead, it's your airway itself that is getting in its own way, that is causing the blockade. Specifically, as you are lying there, horizontal and asleep, you, as the sleep apnea patient, will suffer from episodes where your airway and the flaps within that airway will either partially 
or fully collapse. In other words, the airway is giving way to gravity as you are lying down flat. As a consequence, you, the patient, will start struggling for breath as that airway starts to collapse. And you will get that telltale sign of almost a sort of a snork snork sound where you're that's what's happening as the airway is starting to partially close and then things can escalate if the airway fully closes you will stop breathing entirely and you will transition from the sound of snoring to the deathly silence of no breath whatsoever and this is happening even as your lungs are still desperately trying to suck in the air with an immense amount of effort. Think about trying to drink a milkshake through a paper straw. And then I start to put bends and folds in the straw. The worse the obstruction in the straw, the harder and harder things become. The greater and greater your effort becomes. This is rather like sleep apnea. And once you are in the grips of a sleep apnea event, because you've stopped breathing, the starvation of oxygen that happens, together with the buildup of carbon dioxide in your blood, will result in your brain making a frantic 911 call, or 999 if you're English like me. In essence, you have gone into a critical state, and your brain has recognized this critical state of oxygen desaturation, and your brain wakes itself up. And finally awake, your airway will stabilize, and you will start gasping and gasping and gasping to try and get your breath back. Now, what you'll notice is that I described two different scenarios of breathing disruption. I described a partial obstruction of your airway and a complete obstruction of your airway. And these two things are given two different names. If you're snoring and the airway obstruction is due to a partial collapse, then we actually don't call that an apnea event itself. Because, as you will remember, the word apnea means absence of breath. And with a partial obstruction of your airway, you are still getting the dregs of some breath. So we can't define it as an apnea if it is a partial obstruction. Instead, we call this a hypopnea event, meaning a reduction or a decrease in breath rather than the total absence of breath. But if you stop breathing entirely because of the total airway obstruction, meaning the milkshake straw has collapsed flat entirely, then we call this an apnea event. Why? Because at that point you have no breath whatsoever. And now we can understand why sleep apnea is so deathly in its consequences. The legendary BBC Top Gear presenter and sports car aficionado Jeremy Clarkson once said, and I paraphrase, speed has never killed anyone. It's suddenly becoming stationary that gets you. Oh my goodness, Jeremy. <laughs> like me, he only opens his mouth to change feet. Anyway, a similar statement can be made about sleep apnea. 
Um, <laughs> stick with me here as I try to boomerang back the conversation away from my flagrant desire of inserting motorsport references into this podcast. Focus, Matthew. For sleep apnea, it's not the lack of breathing per se that's devastating. It's the consequential drop in your blood oxygenation that is lethal. As I mentioned, when you stop breathing, levels of oxygen in your blood plummet dangerously and carbon dioxide levels start to rise. And both of these things are deathly toxic to your cells. But that's not the only issue. In addition, because your brain is constantly waking you up to gasp for life-preserving breath, your sleep as a result is desperately damaged. Because of those constant awakenings, you will never get into the solid, deep non-REM sleep of people who don't have sleep apnea. You will also spend much more time in the shallows of very, very light non-REM sleep. And in addition, impacted by such poor quality of sleep, no big surprise, you feel chronically sleepy during the day. And it is this cadre from reductions in oxygen, increases in carbon dioxide, and the lack of sufficient sleep, plus the loss of your deep non-REM sleep and the likelihood of falling asleep during the day, all of these can be ominous, perilous, grave, and life-threatening. And I mean that without trying to alarm you. Because what we've discovered is that untreated apnea, even mild sleep apnea, will markedly increase your risk for developing dementia, for developing cardiovascular disease, for suffering from a heart attack or a stroke. It will escalate your chances of developing type 2 diabetes and even accelerate the likelihood that you will fall asleep at the wheel while driving, the consequences of which are going to be obvious. And in fact, tragically, come back to the Jeremy Clarkson quote that we spoke about regarding sports cars. In fact, in a recent meta-analysis, we discovered that having untreated sleep apnea is linked to a 43% increased risk of suffering from cognitive decline in later life, more than a 25% increased risk of developing Alzheimer's disease, and over a 50% increased risk of developing Parkinson's disease in later life. And when we add all of these things up, little surprise to learn then that if you have untreated sleep apnea, you are three to four times more likely to die prematurely than someone without sleep apnea. Three to four times more likely. That is a striking number. Or is it? I would argue it's not when you think about the real-world bedroom context, because when you do that, it makes perfect sense. Let's take even a mild case of sleep apnea, and I'll come on to defining the severity of insomnia in just a second, but let me just get ahead of myself for a moment. Let's say that someone is having just 10 of these apnea events every hour during sleep at night. And remember that when you are having an apnea event, you stop breathing entirely. Well, let me convert that. What if I told you that tonight, I'm going to come into your bedroom, and every hour, 
I'm going to throttle you 10 times. I'm going to create 10 apnea events. In fact, I'm going to throttle you to the point where you stop breathing entirely. And I'm going to do this each hour, every hour, all night long. And under those conditions, do you think that you would feel refreshed or restored by your sleep the next day? Meaning that if I throttled you 80 times tonight, do you think that it would be good quality of sleep and that your brain and your body health would be just fine? And now imagine that I said, I'm going to be doing this for the next week or the next month or the next six years. And although it is, of course, a hyperbolic analogy, I do hope it adds context because in effect, this is what undiagnosed, untreated sleep apnea is doing to you each and every night. And this would be just mild sleep apnea. Which then brings me on to the topic of diagnosis. How do you get tested for sleep apnea? Before we discuss the clinical diagnosis, here are things that you, the individual, can start looking out for right away. Because there are four cardinal signs, almost the sort of the four horsemen of the sleep apnea apocalypse that you should be aware of. The first is if you are struggling with excessive daytime sleepiness. The second is that you feel unrefreshed by your sleep despite giving yourself sufficient amount of time in bed. The third is when someone else tells you that you snore, especially if you snore loudly. And finally, number four, if you've ever woken up gasping for breath, gasping for air, or someone tells you that that is what they observed in you, that is red alert. And if you see these things, I would suggest that you promptly see your doctor and speak about sleep apnea testing. Which then brings me on to the clinical assessment of sleep apnea. What if you or your doctor suspect that you have sleep apnea? How do we prove that fact? Well, there are a set of different screening tools and methods that we will use to make the definitive diagnosis of sleep apnea. And we use all of these at my sleep center. First, there are screening questionnaires where we attempt to identify if you are at higher risk of sleep apnea. And these are things that you can actually already fill out online yourself. Things such as the Epworth Sleepiness Scale, or the ESS, and also the Stop Bang Questionnaire. Don't worry about me unpacking those. I will provide you with links in the show notes where you can click and you can go to an online survey to fill out both of those forms, and you can then take them to your doctor. This podcast is supported by Athletic Greens. Now, Athletic Greens is a comprehensive nutritional drink, and it contains countless different health components. Let me stop there. I say countless. I actually know the company pretty well, and I know how the product is made. And I believe at last count, it's over 75 different vitamins and minerals and probiotics, prebiotics, and other whole food source nutrients and you consume it every day. And I do drink Athletic Greens, and for the record, I buy my own supply because of all of the obvious 
sort of integrity trappings that come with free product. And I just don't want to get into that. So as I said, I know the company really quite well, including their stellar CEO, and I trust the creation and their manufacturing procedures. They've got all of the correct stamps, things like TGA and GMP stamps. Basically, they're rigorous. So anyway, if you are mindful of your health, then you may want to check them out at the link, which is athleticgreens.com forward slash Matt Walker. And if you use that link, you'll get some money off your first order and also some free travel packs. So that's athleticgreens.com forward slash Matt Walker. However, none of those screening questionnaires are sufficient to make the final clinical diagnosis of sleep apnea. For that, we usually need to either have you come in to the sleep laboratory where we will measure your sleep and your breathing and your blood oxygen saturation levels, or we will send you an at-home testing kit, which is essentially a lightweight version of the sleep laboratory, and you will do a night or several nights of recording yourself. And it is within these sleep recordings themselves that we can identify two villains that I mentioned earlier, sleep apnea events, which as you'll remember, that's when you stop breathing entirely because your airway collapses, and hypopnea events. And this is where you have a partial collapse of the airway. And how many of these two events that you have and how long that they last, and also how dramatic the drop in your blood oxygen saturation there is, will all help us understand first if you have sleep apnea, and second, if you do, how severe is it? In fact, we will essentially add up those two types of events, apneas and hypopneas, and combine them into an overall score. And this score is something that we call the apnea hypopnea index, or the AHI for short. Based on your apnea hypopnea index score or your AHI score, we will then bucket you into effectively four categories. If you have less than five of these events per hour, for example, if you have an apnea hypopnea index of three, in other words, you're having on average three of these events per hour during your night of sleep, then at that point, we don't consider you to have sleep apnea. If you have an apnea hypopnea index score of between 5 to 15, meaning between 5 to 15 of these events per hour, then you do have sleep apnea, and you have what we call mild sleep apnea. If you go up and you start to have somewhere between 15 to 30 of these events per hour, then you will have moderate sleep apnea. And finally, if you have more than 30 of these events per hour, or in other words, you have an AHI score of 30 or higher, then you have severe sleep apnea. So finally, let me talk about treatment. The main treatment for sleep apnea involves using a device that helps maintain the pressure in your airway. And this device is effectively going to feed continuous pressurized air down your airway. And it will help support it and keep it open and prevent it from collapsing. And as a result, we call it a continuous 
positive airway pressure device <laughs> or shortened to a CPAP device. Now, you've probably heard of a physical stent for your heart to keep the vessel that feeds blood to your heart wide open. And this is where you may hear people of having stents fitted in their heart. Well, you can think of a CPAP machine like a stent, but for your airway. However, rather than using a physical stent, which is what we do for your heart, we will use air to keep your airway open. So it is an air pressure stent in that regard. Now, modern day CPAP machines are increasingly smaller, they are increasingly quieter and also more comfortable. And you can think of them almost like a nasal pillow that slips over your nose and it has a tube coming from it that goes to the machine. And that machine will be feeding that positive air uh, down that tube, that pressurized tube, into your airway to keep those airways nice and wide open. I should also note that there are two other treatments rather than CPAP. The first of those two is what we call a mandibular advancement device, which is a dental mouthpiece that is designed to augment the position of your jaw and push it forward, and this will help you breathe better. And of course, these things are less cumbersome than a CPAP machine, although they may not be as effective for some people. The other treatment, which is used as a very, very last resort for those people who are resistant to those other treatments involves surgery. And these surgeries can include the trimming or the altering of various parts of your airway that are causing the airway blockage, things such as the epiglottis flap in your throat, or the removal of tonsils, which is also a common case in sleep apnea in children, and finally, even surgical augmentation of the tongue itself. If you take one thing from this episode, it should be this. If you suspect that you suffer from sleep apnea, or if people tell you that you snore or you wake up gasping for breath, or if you know someone who does these things, please get help. Get tested, get treated it will add years to your life and quality ones at that. And with that, I will simply say thank you so much for listening and thank you to everyone who's been leaving reviews on places like Apple Podcasts. I read all of the reviews and I pay careful attention to your words. So thank you so much for that. I will say take care, good night and goodbye for now. Thanks again.